Happy Christmas, everybody. Take a seat. Yeah, happy Christmas. I love Christmas. I don't know about you. I love Christmas. Because Christmas is a time of wonder, isn't it? It's a time of wonder. It certainly makes me wonder. Have you ever stopped, for example, and considered Santa and his whole present delivery process? It really is quite a wonder. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently there's a huge debate going on currently between physicists about exactly how Santa is able to deliver all his, his presents for Christmas morning. Now, according to these physicists, they've calculated that each Christmas, Santa has to stop at something like 98.1 million homes all around the world. 98.1 million. And because of the various time zones around the world, they've worked out he's got a bit of an advantage. He actually gets 31 hours to do that, to go to all those homes. But it works out that Santa has to stop at 822.6 homes every second. Can you believe that? Every second. It means that he's got something like one one thousandth of a second to park his reindeer, to climb down the chimney, to stuff the stockings, to down the milk and cookies, to get back up the chimney, to get back into his sleigh and head off to the next home. It really is quite a wonder, but I have no problem with it. No problem. You see, because I have seen people moving at the Boxing Day sales. <laughs> and I know that it is quite possible for people to move that quickly. According to these physicists, They've also calculated that if every child were to receive just a medium-sized Lego set from Santa, that that would mean that his, the payload, his total payload, would be way more than 300,000 tonnes. And that doesn't even include you know, the weight of his sleigh or the weight of Santa of himself. And let's face it, he's no featherweight. But according to these physicists, with all that mass moving around at these sort of speeds, well, it creates enormous air resistance. A bit like the space shuttle re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, you know. Well, according to these physicists, it means that the leading reindeer would absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second, leading to the entire reindeer team being vaporised within four thousandths of a second. But I have no problem with that either. I mean, you think about it. Who is the leading reindeer? Who is? Who's the leading reindeer? Rudolph! And what does Rudolph have out in front of him? He's got his red nose. Well, it's obviously some sort of heat shield that protects him and the rest of the reindeer behind him. Yes, Christmas is a time of wonder, isn't it? Well, this morning we're going to be talking about another wonder of Christmas. In fact, it's the wonder of Christmas. And it's a wonder that's in a category way different to Sandra and his delivery process. It's a wonder that's based on history. It's a wonder that's based on facts. Um, and it's a wonder that I dare say has been overlooked by many people this Christmas. And maybe it's even been overlooked by yourself. It's the wonder that God has become a human being and has made his home among us. Would you please open up your Bibles with me? This morning we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 1. You'll find it much easier to follow along with me. You'll find that on page 833 of the small print Bibles or 1832 of the large print Bibles. We're going to be concentrating on just two verses from Colossians chapter 1 this morning. But these two verses, I think, are going to help us understand something of the true wonder of Christmas. Let's begin by thinking about what God did on Christmas Day. Read with me Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. 
verse 19. We read, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Who is this verse talking about? Well, it's talking about Jesus Christ. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. It's true, isn't it, that the birth of a human baby really is an amazing event. You know, a new life, a new person. In one sense, every birth is an amazing event. But then the birth of one kid is really not all that more amazing than the birth of the next kid. Sorry, parents, but it's true. But yet, when we consider Jesus Christ, when we consider that Jewish baby born in that little backwater of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, well, when we consider him, we must see that something truly amazing happened about, with, with his birth. It was way out of the ordinary. The difference is that who this Jewish baby was. The difference is his identity for there, laying in that manger, in that animal's feeding trough, there in that manger was no ordinary child, but God himself. God dwelling in flesh and blood. God wrapped in skin. Yes, in a way that had never happened before, and in a way that would never happen again, a woman gave birth to God. She gave birth to a child who was not God-like, who was not a little bit God. No, she gave birth to a child who was entirely God. What did we read there in verse 19? We read, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This child was in every way God, and that makes his birth the most extraordinary one indeed. We uh, human beings are quite funny creatures, aren't we? We have that funny way of being amazed at something. But then with the passing of time, what, becomes, uh, what, what, what was amazing to us becomes, I guess, a little bit ho-hum. You know, it's a bit like that amazing toy that you got for Christmas. But with the passing of time, you know, it seems to work its way further and further to the back of the toy box. Well, when it, when it comes to the birth of Jesus, I think we Christians are a little bit like that. I think that we Christians can tend to forget just how amazing it is. You know, with the passing of time, it come, becomes to us just a little bit ho-hum. Friends, what, what God did on Christmas Day really ought to blow our socks off. It really ought to fill us with wonder. So, okay, in an attempt to try to recapture the wonder of what happened there in Bethlehem, let's think about the stars for a moment. Okay, stars seem to feature fairly prominently at Christmas time. So let's think about the stars for a moment. Did you know that if we were to take our own star, that is the sun, if we were to take the, star, the sun and if we were to bore a hole into it and if we were then to start dumping earths into it, did you know that we would be able to fit 1,200,000 earths and there would still be room for 4,300,000 moons? I mean, the sun is inconceivably massive, isn't it? But then if you consider a second star, say we consider our closest star, Alpha Centauri, did you know that Alpha Centauri is five times greater than the size of our sun? Wow. Or consider a third star, the amazing star, Betelgeuse. Well, Betelgeuse has a diameter 
which is, wait for this, a diameter which is actually greater than the orbit of the Earth. It's huge. These are three stars within our galaxy. Three stars. But our galaxy, it contains 200 billion stars like this. 200 billion. And that's our one galaxy. Scientists reckon that our, our universe has 125 billion galaxies. Do you get a sense for just how huge our cosmos is? Do you get a, a sense for just how much stuff is out there? Well, the question is, who made all that stuff? Who made all that stuff from nothing? Who has that kind of vast intellect to know how to do it in the first place? Who has the ability to be in all places at the one time, you know, making sure it all keeps on spinning the way that it should? Well, the answer is, of course, God Almighty. Yet here in Colossians, we are reminded that this God, the creator, the sustainer of that cosmos, our cosmos, we're reminded that he chose to take up permanent residence in the form of a human being, like you and me. At Christmas, what we see is God Almighty lying in a manger. Wow. Doesn't that fill you with wonder? You know, when I consider a baby, I don't tend to think of them as the most powerful beings in the universe. When I think of a baby, I think of a windy, weepy, pooey, perky, sleepy, burpy being. And yet somehow, here this child laying in a manger, though 100% human, was also 100% God. To think that the God whom the heavens can't contain lay in a manger. To think that while this baby lay there dribbling away, that somehow he was spinning the electrons within the atoms that, were holding, that was holding that manger together in the first place. I mean, it's a wonder, isn't it? I mean, it's a brain fry, but it's a wonder. Do you want to know what fills me with even more wonder about what happened on that first Christmas morning, though? I'm filled with wonder about how God felt about Christmas Day, how he felt about Christmas Day. How he, thought, how he felt about becoming a human being. How do you think that thought made God feel, the thought about becoming a human being? Think about it for a moment. There God is. He's up in his heaven, on his throne, in his perfect heaven, surrounded by angels who recognise who he is, surrounded by angels who worship him for who he is. There are all these angels serving him 24-7. And then God thinks about coming to earth as a human being. He would have known that our world was far from perfect. He would have known that it was a world full of suffering and pain, a world of heartache and loss. Yeah, he would have known that. He would have known how he would be rejected by people. He would have known how even, you know, by the age, even by the time he was a toddler, he would be, people would be trying to kill him. You know, like we read in our final reading, the King Herod, evil King Herod, trying to hunt this baby down to kill him. He would have known that. He would have known that it was that sort of rejection that he would face all of his life. So let me ask you, how do you think God felt about becoming a human being? 
I was listening to a Christian radio station the other day and I heard uh, a modern Christmas carol. And in their song, they summed it up this way. They sang, How could heaven's heart not break on the day, the day you came? That's the sentiment that they felt that God must have felt when, when he came to earth. How could heaven's heart have not have broken at the thought? And it's the logical conclusion to come to, isn't it? But wait, read with me verse 19 again. What does it say there? It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Far from breaking heaven's heart, we learn that God was actually pleased to become a baby. He was pleased to become a human being, to enter our world. Literally, he was delighted. It filled him with pleasure. Doesn't that thought fill you with wonder? It does me. But it also makes me want to ask the question, why? Why on earth would God, God who has everything, why would it please him to become a human being? Well, read with me again from verse 19. We'll read verse 19 and 20 as we think about God's purpose for Christmas Day. From verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and... And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, it did please God to become a human being and dwell among us. It pleased him because by becoming a human being, he would be able to reconcile all things to himself by dying on the cross. You see, if Christmas starts with God in a shed, it finishes with God on the cross. Now, that might sound like a bit of a party pooper thing to bring up at Christmas time, but you can't blame me. It was, after all, the whole purpose of God's coming in the first place. God became a human baby that he might grow up and die on a cross. Why? To bring reconciliation, to bring peace. It doesn't mean that God came to bring peace in the Middle East. You know, it's not that he came to bring an end to the war in Iraq or in Israel, though that would definitely be an offshoot of his mission. But his mission's actually a lot bigger than that. What did it say in verse 20? It said, he came to reconcile to himself all things. And by all things, it means all things. See, this is a mission of cosmic proportions. God became a human being in order to save the universe. Now, these days our our society, it has a great concern, doesn't it, for saving the planet. And this year we've heard lots about uh, global warming and ice caps melting and sea levels rising. And and I guess there wouldn't be many people out there who don't realise that our planet has many problems. And there's not many people out there who haven't come to realise that many of the world's problems, well, the blame can be laid squarely at the feet of us human beings. We're to blame. And yet, the problem that we face is bigger than a falling out between us and nature. Our problems, they'll never be solved by the Kyoto Protocol, no matter how good it is. 
We can't just seek to be reconciled to the natural world. The problem's bigger than that. We've got to ask, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is it that motivates us in the first place to, to snatch and grab, to abuse and exploit, to devour in the way that we do? Well, the Bible is very clear in answering that question. The Bible is clear in saying that all people everywhere have turned from God and, and do no longer live for him. It's clear that all people everywhere have decided that rather than live for God, they'd rather live for themselves. Rather than living to please God, they'd rather live to please themselves. Now think of that. Five billion people all around the world living under their own rules. Five billion people around the world living as though they were the only ones that really mattered. It's no wonder that our planet is in such a mess. But here's the thing. The Bible is also very clear that our rejection of God means that we are now in hostility with him. That a war now rages between you and God. You see, when you reject his rightful rule over your life, it's a bit like taking up arms against the one who has given you life and breath. You're at war with God. Should that concern you? Well, absolutely. Because you see, God, God is no pacifist. No, God has come and he's wiped out rebels in the past and he warns that he'll wipe out rebels in the future. But here, here, here is the true wonder of Christmas. That when our adversary, God, when our enemy, God, came... He did not come as he could have. He did not come in blinding power, wiping us all out. He didn't come bringing all of us rebels to our knees as he could have. Rather, he came in meekness and he came in humility to demonstrate to us his deep desire for relationship with us. He came wanting from us glad surrender. And so he came as a human being. He came as one of us. He came and he respectfully commanded all of us to repent, to, to come back under his rule. And then, well, then he went on to the cross and he died in our place. So that if we do surrender, well, then there can be real forgiveness available. You see, in the coming of God as a human being, what we see is the almighty laying down his weapons so that we might lay down ours. What is the true wonder of Christmas? Well, the true wonder of Christmas is that God has come as a human being, that he was pleased to come and that he came with the purpose of bringing peace between you and him. Yes, that's the wonder of Christmas. And yet it's a wonder that needs to leave us doing much more than just wondering. It's a wonder, surely. It's a wonder that demands a response. Friend, I don't know how much you've rebelled against God in your life. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe a lot. But what I do know is that to now reject God's offer of reconciliation would be the most horrendous treason possible. To now turn your back on this God of compassion. 
to now walk all over the peace envoy who offers the olive branch to you, well, to do that, friend, with all due respect, is a crime worthy of hell forever. You know, I could understand you having difficulty coming to God if he were to have come to you in a Sherman tank, if he were to have come to you in a blaze of terrifying power. You know, I could understand that. But he didn't. He laid down his weapons. He gave up the glory of heaven. He came in flesh and blood. And he came humbly ready to die for you. Friend, I want to conclude this morning by wishing you a most wonderful Christmas. A wonderful Christmas. As you take time to reflect upon that brilliant truth that God has come to earth to die for you, to offer you peace. And I want to conclude this morning by imploring you, begging you, not to turn your back on this God, because he's made you and he desires relationship with you. This Christmas, will you recognise his lordship over your life? This Christmas, will you gladly surrender to him? Let's pray. Dear God, what a, a wonderful thing you did when you came all those years ago in the form of a human being like us. Thank you that when you came, you did not desire our destruction, but that you found pleasure in offering us reconciliation with you. God, forgive us our rebellion. God, forgive us the way we look to live for ourselves without care for you. Forgive us and bring us under your rule. We surrender. Thank you that when Jesus died in our place, he made real forgiveness possible for us. Thank you for the true wonder of Christmas, that in it you have given us true reason to celebrate, not just for a day or for a season, but into all eternity. Amen.